You're free to do whatever you want to do, but you are not free to escape the consequences of that. And the next time someone tells you that they're free to do as they please, bring them up on the roof of your house and ask them to jump down. Because if they jump, they are not free to escape the law of gravity. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a study of the book of Jonah, and today we begin a look at Jonah's obedience to the call of God after his time in the belly of the fish. Even after Jonah had disobeyed, God in his grace still chose to use Jonah for a great revival. Let's join Pastor Carl as he opens chapter 3 in our study of the book of Jonah. Take God's word. Would you turn to the prophet Jonah, the third chapter, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah has been dubbed a minor prophet, not because he is unimportant, but because of the length of his message. And so since the fourth century, that's a descriptive term to describe 12 of God's prophet. And certainly their, their message is not minor, they are giving us a mighty message. Now, you're here for the first time, I know. People are listening to us for the first time. And so I want to bring you into the historical context of where we are at this morning. For the rest of us, I think review is always helpful because by the time we're done, I want you to be able to think your way through the whole book of Jonah. I want you to really grab a hold of the truth that is here. As we work through this book, my desire is that this book will go through us. Because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to renew the mind, to change the way we think, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Now, if you remember, the book revolves around two commissions. They're given at the start of chapter 1, then again at the start of chapter 2. The start of chapter 1, it says, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And then in chapter 3, it says, now the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So in chapters one and two, we have the first commission of Jonah. And if you remember, he disobeyed. He went in the opposite direction. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And so he heads to Tarshish. And if you remember, there was a motivation for that. If you're new, this is the sixth of what I plan to be 10 messages on the prophet Jonah. But in the introductory message, which is very important, someone said to me this week, I went back and listened to it and it opened the book up for me. It was that important. But if you remember, one of Israel's worst enemies at this time in their history were the Ninevites. The Ninevites were vicious, cruel, hateful people, and they were prophesied to destroy, to judge the people of Israel. And so in Jonah's mind, he thinks, well, if they don't repent, God will destroy them, and then they won't be the instrument of judgment. And so Jonah is a real patriot at heart. He wants to protect his nation. So as you can see on this map, uh, he is from a place called Hath Kefir, which is just a few miles outside of Nazareth where Jesus was raised. And he heads to Joppa, that's modern day Tel Aviv. And instead of uh, going northeast about 500 miles from uh, Nazareth to Nineveh, he goes west in the opposite direction to Tarshish. 
that would be modern day Spain. Every once in a while you read some new modern scholar who supposedly has an insight that no one else has seen. Tarsius is modern day Spain. That is a well-documented fact. It goes back as far as 425 years before Christ. Herodotus taught that, and so didn't the church fathers and others. The point is, is that he's 3,000 miles from where he needs to be because he's running from God. But when you run from God, if you're one of his, you'll come under his chastisement. You'll come under his disciplining hand. And so God brought a great storm. God hurled it in his sovereignty upon the ocean and the boat began to rock and it looked like it was going to sink. The sailors did everything in their power to try to control the circumstances. They couldn't, so they cast lots and they decide to throw Jonah overboard. And so the prodigal prophet in chapter two, if you remember, becomes the praying prophet. If you were in the belly of a great fish, you would pray too. God appointed this fish. And he spent three days and three nights on this foam blubber mattress under the disciplining hand of Almighty God. And we read in chapter 2 and verse 9, if you're looking in your Bible, but I will sacrifice to you, here he is, alive in the belly of the great fish, I will sacrifice to you the voice of thanksgiving, that which I have vowed I will pay, salvation is from the Lord. And then and only then do we read in verse 10 of the second chapter, Then the Lord, then Yahweh, commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. God didn't let his prophet drown. God brought him under chastisement, but neither was God going to release him until he repented and he purposed in his heart to keep his vow. And even in this age of grace, when you make a vow to God, God takes it seriously. Solomon wrote, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he, the Lord, takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. When I was a teenager, God made it clear to me that he wanted me to spend my life preaching the gospel. And I vowed in my heart that I would do that until the day I died. And had I not done that, or were I in this day to stop doing what God called me to do, I would come under God's discipline, disciplining hand. Some of you have made vows. Some of you are sick with seemingly no hope of being healed. And you said, you promised God, God, if you would heal me, I'll do such and such. And God healed you, and you never did such and such. Some of you made a vow, your, your life was in a financial mess. You said, God, it is so deep, I don't know what to do. Please, in your mercy, get me out of this debt. And God got you out of that debt. And before long, you filled those credit cards right back up again. And some of you still can't get out of debt because you are robbing God. You're not in obedience to what he has called you to do. And he won't give you deliverance until you obey. So here's Jonah, three days and three nights under the chastising hand of God, and old Moby Dick couldn't stand him himself, and he vomited him up. It's very graphic in the Hebrew, gravy and all. God disciplined his prophet because as Proverbs 3 teaches us, is quoted in the book of Hebrews, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. 
For those whom the Lord loves, talking about his children, those who are born again, those at this particular time are under the covenant of God's favor, which the Jewish people were men like Jonah who were believers. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. So when you think about Jonah, two big commissions. The first commission, chapters one and two. The second commission, chapters three and four. And you can break the outline down further in your mind. If you remember in chapter one, we called him the prodigal prophet. He was running from God. He was saying, in essence, I will not go. In chapter two, in the belly of the great fish, he becomes the praying prophet. He's running towards God. And in essence, he says, I will go. I will do what you want me to do, Lord. He is willing to keep his vow. And then in chapter three, we have dubbed him the preaching prophet, where he's running for God. And in essence, he's saying, I'm here, I'm yours. And then finally, when we come to chapter four, we will see him as the pouting prophet, where he's not running from God, he's not running toward God, he's not running for God, he's running ahead of God. And in essence, he will say, I shouldn't have come. Now with that brief review, We want to focus on just a handful of verses this morning, but we're going to read the entire chapter so we have a sense of the flow as to where it's going. Jonah chapter three, beginning now in verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked ways and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, having set the broad context, let me give you an overview of the chapter. There are three key words that really summarize what chapter three is about. Put out in the margin next to verses one and two, the word recommission, the word recommission, because these two verses really are descriptive of the second commission of Jonah. Next to verses three and four, put the word response because here we find Jonah's response to the second opportunity, the second chance that God gives him. And then if you would, next to verses five through 10, write the word result, because these verses give us the result of his being an obedient prophet. Now in chapter three, there are two cries. We have the cry of Jonah of impending judgment, and we have the cry of the Ninevites for repentance. Now let's get started. We want to begin with the recommissioning of Jonah to preach, the recommissioning of Jonah to preach. Again, we read here in verse one, 
Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I have some good news for you this morning, and it is that our God is the God of the second chance. Let me pull over for just a second and come to the side of the road and try to give some perspective here. Some of you are in your 40s, maybe 50s. Maybe some are even in their 60s. And some years back, you made a promise to God that you would do such and such, but you didn't do it. Or you disobeyed God in some form or fashion, and you just feel like my life is a mess. Well, I want to underscore in your thinking this morning, our God is the God of the second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now understand, God does not always give his servants a second chance. If you keep resisting, if you keep rebelling, God can shelf you. That's one of the messages of the book of Hebrews. God can just lay you aside and shelve you and use someone else in your place. But in this case, under the sovereignty of God, the Lord hurled a great storm to get Jonah and everyone on the ship's attention. And then he had a fish that he commissioned to swallow Jonah to accomplish his will. Some have entitled this chapter, The Gospel of the Second Chance. I don't personally like that title for the simple reason that the gospel speaks of salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And there's no second chance in terms of salvation. When a person rejects Christ and dies as an unbeliever, there's not another opportunity. Jesus reminded the unbelievers in his day in Romans 8, 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, contextually, God in human flesh, the Messiah, the promised savior for Israel and for the whole world, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The book of Hebrews in the ninth chapter says, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes not a second chance, but after that comes judgment. But while there is no second chance in terms of salvation, there can be a second chance in terms of your service. Or to put it differently, cleansing and forgiveness before God for past sins can qualify you for current day service but you have to deal with those past sins. It was not until he promised to obey, he truly repented that God opened the hatch and recommissioned Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And we could give multiple illustrations from scripture of God being the God of the second chance. Think about King David. He wrote Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 after he committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, after he was involved in the planned murder of Uriah and in consequence, many of Uriah's men. Multiple murders. But then God forgave him and cleansed him and wrote those two Psalms about his experience. Peter preached to thousands of people on the day of Pentecost. And he did it after he denied Christ three times and even said, I don't even know the man. John Mark, we studied him not long ago. If you remember on the first missionary journey, Barnabas wanted him to come along and Paul agreed. But during the first missionary journey, he washed out, he went home. 
And the second missionary journey comes and, and Barnabas wants to take him again. And Paul says, no way, the work's too important. We cannot take John Mark. And so the scripture says there arose a sharp disagreement such that they separated from one another. And don't water down those words. It's even stronger in the original. They were divided. Instead of having one missionary journey, they went their separate ways and they had two missionary journeys. But what I find so intriguing is that towards the end of the apostle's life, he writes this in his last will and testament. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. And if you remember, he became useful under the influence and tutelage of Barnabas who cared for him, encouraged him. He did what was right and he becomes the great writer of the gospel according to Mark. Remember, Barnabas was the one who defended Paul when no one else could trust him there in the Jerusalem church. God is the God of the second chance. And some of us here today, we need to be reminded of that truth. Now understand, God doesn't compromise his standards because he's not in any way going to compromise his holy nature. But he can restore and reuse the repentant believer. Now people make all kinds of excuses and say, well, you know, God understands, I'm only human. No, God doesn't understand. God calls us to obey. Well, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, that's true, and that's why we're to walk by the Spirit. That's why Paul said, walk by the Spirit, that you might not carry out the desires of the sinful fallen nature. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And God who cannot lie will not allow us to remain comfortable in our sin, at least if we know him, if we're born again, because those whom the Lord loves, he loves the world, but he has a special affection for those who are his. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so if in your human weakness, you say, I'm going to Tarshish, I'm not going to Nineveh, then you're going to meet God in his discipline. So God doesn't allow you to be used a second time until you respond to that discipline. And let me underscore that God wants to forgive. He wants to forgive unbelievers and he wants to forgive his people. In Mark 3.28, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. You know, I've met people as a pastor in the decades I've served the Lord who think they've committed something that is so heinous and so evil that God just can't forgive them. And you know, I can't find any more a sin recorded in Scripture that someone hasn't told me about in a pastor's office. We say, well, confession is just done to Roman Catholic priests. No, they're done to evangelical pastors too. All sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. And then 1 John 1, 9, not a salvation verse, but written to those who have been saved, the promise to us who know him, if we confess our sins, the word confess, homologeo, to say what God says about the sin. We take ownership of it, that it's wrong, that we have violated his standard, his right to rule over us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise for cleansing, for forgiveness. Not an excuse to sin, for he says in the same breath, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, while God can erase the guilt of sin, he can't always erase the consequences of our sin. 
If I were to be involved in some kind of scandalous behavior, could God forgive this pastor? Yes, he could. Could I serve as the pastor of this church? Absolutely not. Because a pastor must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Now, we are free to sin, but we are not free to escape the consequences of sin. And so Paul reminds the Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Many of you know that for a dozen years, Audrey and I worked with college students, first at the University of North Carolina, then at Duke University, and then in my years of seminary, traveling the country and speaking on campuses and the conferences and the like. And sometimes these students would say, well, you know, don't, don't fence me in. You know, I'm free to live however I want. I'm free to have sex, I'm free to get high, I'm free to smoke dope, I'm free to get wasted on the weekend. Yes, you are. You're free to do whatever you want to do, but you are not free to escape the consequences of that. And the next time someone tells you that they're free to do as they please, bring them up on the roof of your house and ask them to jump down. Because if they jump, They are not free to escape the law of gravity. You are free to make any kind of choice you want, but you are not free to break God's spiritual laws because just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, there are spiritual laws that govern your relationship with God. Well, I don't like that law. It could care less whether you like that law. I don't understand that law. You will have full comprehension when your head hits the concrete, I promise you. Our God is forgiving. He can restore you, but we are not to presume on his grace. And certainly he can't always erase the consequences. But I just wonder if there's anyone here today listening or on our other campuses who can relate to Jonah. I really blew it. I feel so miserable over what I've done. I feel like I've totaled my life. Can God still use me? And the message of this chapter is, yes, potentially he can, if you will get your heart right. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And notice what we read here in verse 2. When it came, he said, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Now, he's not there yet. I heard a sermon once of how Jonah was spit out in Nineveh and all the Ninevites were blown away. This guy who came out of a great fish and that's why they repented. May I remind you that Nineveh is 500 miles inland. (laughs) But I take it that he probably brought him back to Joppa, the place where he began, the place of his disobedience so that he would have a chance to go to Nineveh. God, in essence, saying, look, I'm going to give you a second chance. Go to Nineveh. And what intrigues me here is first the phrase, the proclamation, which I will proclaim, that I am going to tell you. It uh, intrigues me for two reasons. Number one is that it's a future tense. I am going to tell you. You see, God doesn't give Jonah a chance to say, well, God, first tell me what you want me to proclaim, and then I'll evaluate whether or not I want to do it. So often we want God to show us the whole program before we obey, but he doesn't work like that. And if his program meets my program, then maybe we can have some kind of a joint program. 
But that's not how God operates. He has revealed his character to you, that he is trustworthy, and he asks us to walk by faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And by the way, there is a basic principle that's unfolded all the way through Scripture, is the way you discover God's specific will for your life is by obeying his general will for your life. And when you obey what you know, God then unfolds the next step. Do I marry Susie or do I marry Clementine? Do I work in Dallas or do I work in, in Chicago? Now, there was a popular book that evangelicals bought up in gobs. In fact, it's still in print. And it basically said, it doesn't matter. As long as you don't marry, say, an unbeliever, you can marry any believer you want. That while God has a general will for every Christian, he doesn't have a specific will for every Christian. And that is not what the scripture teaches. Gary Friesen, his book, Decision Making and the Will of God was just flat out wrong. Let me give you some promises in reference to God's specific will for your life. In Psalm 37, four, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, please understand, the context reveals that the emphasis of this verse is not on my desires, but rather on my delight. In fact, listen to verse 3 right before it. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And now listen to verse 5 right after it. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. So on either side of the promise in verse 4 is the admonition to cultivate faithfulness and to commit your way to the Lord. And when you are delighting yourself in the Lord, then the desires that originate in your heart are put there from the Lord, and he will begin to unfold his specific will for your life. He's not talking about self-centered desires. He's talking about godly desires. Listen to this verse from Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, it speaks of God's personal, specific will for your life. David can write, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even, before, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Or listen to this promise in Psalm 31, three. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. Or how about Proverbs three, five and six? Many of you have it memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean. It doesn't say don't use, but don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And so when we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, God can certainly use the counsel of godly people. He can certainly use the promptings of the spirit of God. He can certainly use different circumstances to give confirmation to his specific will and plan for your life. And by the way, there are countless New Testament examples that illustrate that very truth. Jesus reminded us that the very hairs on our head were numbered. That's how specific and up close God is. He said a sparrow can't even fall to the ground apart from his notice. And we are far more important than a sparrow. God's plans and God's ways are far better than our own. God often uses people and circumstances around us, but we also need to be in tune to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in us. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478 and requesting program JNH6. And of course, you can always use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app available for smartphones and tablets. And when you call or visit online, consider giving a one-time or recurring contribution to the ministry of Search the Scriptures. Your generous donation helps to continue airing the messages of Dr. Brogy around the country. Tomorrow, we'll continue our study in our series in the book of Jonah. Join us then as we search the scriptures.